This is Unpacking Design, a podcast to help designers of all kinds better themselves in career, business, and life. Join me, Michael Valley, and my co-host, Tim Ong, as we unpack the problems designers face every day. Welcome to Season 2 of Unpacking Design, Life Lessons to My Younger Self. Each episode this season is a raw and unfiltered dive into what we wish we knew years ago. Since we can't turn back the clocks for ourselves, we hope that these masterclass discussions will help you on your own journey. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Unpacking Design. You're listening to our 12-part series called Life Lessons to My Younger Self, where Tim and I will each be sharing six lessons we've learned in our lives and careers. In the last lesson, Tim discussed plan less, do more. Today, Tim, we'll be breaking down something that I think could be one of, if not the most important lesson I could teach my younger self. The discussion is going to start a little bit differently. I'd like to share a story, one focused on burnout. And it's not just anyone's burnout, it's mine. So where do we start? Um, From the beginning, I guess. As a young kid, I was told that I could do anything. And I was genuinely supported to do just that. I grew up in Bradford, Pennsylvania, a small town hidden in the middle of a valley in the far northwest of the state, known as the home of the Zippo Lighter. When I was 11, my dad got a job in Buffalo, New York, and our family followed shortly after. With the support of my family and a desire to take advantage of the blessings I had been given, I strove to do my absolute best in high school. I pushed myself to always do better and be better. I leaned into academics, and I made a name for myself as the quote-unquote smart kid in high school. As the identity took hold, and I continued to pour my efforts into my passion for learning, that passion in college turned into obsession. In 2003, I started my undergraduate degree at Syracuse University School of Architecture. I stayed up late, sometimes for days on end to finish projects. Architecture school had a way of taking my obsession to be the best and ramped it up tenfold. And after I left school, I felt as though there was a chip on my shoulder, an expectation again, to thrive and do great things in the world. But rather than take a moment to enjoy the possibilities, I was brought back down by something unexpected. In fall 2008, the world experienced the beginnings of the Great Recession. For years after that, I went from success mode to survival mode. I was pushing myself harder, not to get ahead, but rather to stay afloat and keep my head above water. No one can truly prepare you for what it takes to complete your exams to become a licensed architect. This was one of the things that I did in order to keep myself afloat and to survive. It was one of the things that I knew that if I could become a licensed architect, I would become somebody who was sought after in the industry and would probably be able to keep their job. And it would be something that would help me throughout my life as well. So over seven exams, it took 300 plus hours of studying, 33 and a half hours of straight exam time, and a whole lot of patience. And that sounds like a lot, and it is a lot. So to think about this mindset that I was in, I only gave myself about a week, two weeks after obtaining my license, one of the most grueling efforts of my life to date. And (laughs) only 14 whole days later, I started a blog called Evolving Architect. 
it was a resource I had always sought out as an emerging professional, one that I had hoped would help other emerging professionals find their way through their own careers. It was the type of resource that I wanted to share with everybody else that I knew, people that I could see who were struggling or that were in the same position that I was a couple of years before. And it was something that I felt I could offer the world, even if it wasn't, you know, I wasn't in my mid to late career yet, but it was something that I could create to help others in the way that I needed help when I was kind of at my lowest or just starting out. But in March of 2017, I had just completed a significant project for Evolving Architect, a comprehensive seven plus hour course to teach beginners how to use the software modeling program SketchUp. I was distant, exhausted, and detached from everything other than achieving this one goal of completing the course. For me, this course was sort of the the buildup of about a year and a half worth of creative work, trying to make this blog everything that I could imagine it to be to help people to the maximum. And one day, my wife sat down with me on a... Uh, just a normal afternoon. And we had the talk that would change the course of my life. She told me it wasn't working and that I was running myself ragged. I had burned myself out and I didn't even know it. And I think that the overall, the overall vision that I had for what I was supposed to do in my life changed that day. And it hasn't really ever been the same since. I've been searching for what it is, and it's been a, a journey from that point. But I think the first, the first uh, mini lesson that I'd like to talk about here, Tim, is that no one starts at burnout. You know, as I described the story that I just told, I was a happy kid. I was a kid who had a very you know, I had a very fortunate upbringing. I had a very fortunate life um, in my childhood. My family was very supportive. Everybody, nobody pushed me or pressured me to do any of the things that I did. And I can't tell you what a um, what a blessing that really is to have the support of people in your corner like that. I know that that's not the case with everybody. And I think other people may actually have much different circumstances that ultimately lead them to burnout. But I don't think anybody ever, you don't start at burnout. Burnout kind of builds up over time. So I think before we dissect burnout and how to overcome it, we need to understand what causes it. I shared that story because I didn't start at burnout. Burnout grew within me over time. I became more susceptible to burnout as I pushed myself and failed to recognize the path that I was laying down for my future. Based on probability alone, I think that everyone will deal with burnout at some point in their life. Maybe not in a dramatic way as I found it, but I just don't think that you start at burnout. You need to know though uh, how to recognize it when it happens. And to be clear, I don't think burnout is stress. Burnout is a sustained type of stress that builds up over time, and the results can be sort of catastrophic. We didn't talk about this yet, but I think it's important for everybody listening to know that when I experienced burnout, I was overweight. I was the heaviest weight that I had ever been, and 
I was, you know, about 315 pounds, six foot four. And I was just really not in a good place mentally, physically, uh, emotionally. I was having relationship issues and I had put everything so far ahead of me in terms of my creative endeavors and my work efforts that I had lost sight of the fact that I was still a human being who required more than just the uh, the high that I sort of get as a creative, as a designer. I needed to have uh, more of, honestly, a well-balanced life. And I think maybe as a way to sort of jump off here, Tim, to, to talk about this, I know you've dealt with burnout in your own way before. I know that your story with burnout is, is a little bit different. Um, would you be willing to share what caused your burnout and how you knew it was burnout rather than just stress? Yeah, but before I, I jump into my story, the one thing I was going to ask if you could do is just summarize at the time that you were burning out, what were all the, the of all of the things that you were juggling at the time? Because I know through your story, it was sparsed out, but I just wanted to give our audience some indication of the things you were balancing and trying to juggle. And if you can then just talk about the priority and how you were prioritizing those things in your life during that moment of burnout. I think that'll help relate to my story and where I fell into it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good point. So if you can imagine, I, I, kind of, I went through my whole life story here, uh, but ultimately in the spring of 2017, I was working at a... Uh, a normal sort of nine to five job at an architecture firm. I, so I had that. It was exhaustive. Uh, it was stressful and it was just its own normal kind of um, uh, situation that I think a lot of us deal with in a, uh, a, a, firm kind of job. So as a, as a way to describe that further a little bit for anybody who doesn't have that kind of job in an architecture firm, there are expectations to, especially at the project manager level that I was at, to lead projects, to lead a team, and to make sure that the projects that I was overseeing came in on schedule, uh, on budget, and that they were well-received by the owner. So I had that as kind of a normal stressor. I would say that it was normal for me because I had been working long enough that it had become normalized. On top of that, I was recognizing that I was not really able to uh, do much more than um, like outside of work I had I had work, I had this course, which Tim, I think you know this, but to create the kind of comprehensive course that I was doing, um, to make seven hours worth of content, it means that you're spending probably four or five times that planning it, staging it, working it out, trying to figure it all, all out. And I was doing it within a crunched window on top of the normal blog post, the normal newsletter post, the normal weekly updates I would have to this evolving architect community. So when you start taking away 
the time from my normal job, you start taking away the time from this course on top of the, you know, maybe 10 to 20 hours a week I was spending just writing blog posts and things. We're at the max of what I even have available to me in a day before I'm starting to take out of time with my wife or time from sleeping. And I think that on top of actually, you just reminded me that I was also participating in a committee for the local American Institute of Architects, which I was a board member of, which on top of the Evolving Architect blog, I was also trying to better my community by working with emerging professionals locally uh, and helping set up webinars, set up uh, different kinds of events that we could kind of go to and, and create networking for. And all of these things were very altruistic and ultimately, yes, they were for other people, but I was trying to build, I think, a either a name for myself or a legacy as well at the same time. So it wasn't all, it wasn't all just for, um, for other people. I, I do feel like it was, you know, trying to help build me up and whatever this, this thing I was chasing for all my life to, to become somebody to, to do something great. And I really don't even still know what that means, but at the time it was me chasing all these different endeavors that uh, ultimately just burned me out. So I wasn't spending any time. I, I didn't have any time to even spend with my wife or my friends or anybody. I think maybe the exception was Tim. I remember maybe meeting once every couple of weeks for masterminds on top of that. But other than that, it was just, I felt like I was constantly waking up, going to work, uh, working on this project during lunch, going back to work, getting out of work, going back to work on the project. And then eventually I would go to sleep and then I would do it all over again. So that's kind of what the overall <laughs> process looked like. Yeah, for me, it was very similar. And the reason why I asked if you could just walk us through what was happening in your life is because one of the things that I've always struggled with, even now, is recognizing that the things that you and I are both doing in our day-to-day -day is not considered normal for the average population. And the only times that I really recognize that is when I sit down with my fiance and have a discussion and I say, you know, I'm doing all these things and I wonder what our friends are doing and how they spend their days because I've always been interested in how other people are spending their time. Are they going out and just hanging out with their significant others? Are they hanging out with their children if they have any? Or are they developing a side hustle, right? Like I've always thought everyone had a side hustle. I just always thought that because at a young age, everyone in my neighborhood always had a hustle. That's just how you lived. So when I grew up, I just continued that same mindset of always hustling. Every hour of the day, I would hustle, hustle, hustle. Even now, Every now and then, depending on where my microphone is, you might hear a 3D printer running behind me because I'm literally doing work as we're recording this podcast episode, which I, I generally don't do. But I'm, ju I'm juggling so much all the time that there was one moment in which I found myself burning out and I didn't recognize that it was happening. For me, I've always juggled at least three projects at the same time, my full-time job, my side hustle at the time, it was a blog 
And then I had this podcast with you, Mike, and we continued it ever since. And at some point, I got a laser cutter and I decided to get into leather working. So I taught myself how to create leather projects all by hand, cutting, designing, all of that stuff. So I did it all. And at one point, I was like, well, you know, people are asking me if they can buy some products. Why not start a shop? So that's what I did. The next step in my leather working career was, well, let me start uh, an online Etsy shop, handcraft all these products and sell it to people. So there I was, I found myself for an entire year sitting in my basement after work in the dark, just hand cutting, hand stitching, packaging, sending out, doing all the marketing, doing all the social media. And it was going well. It was at a point where people enjoyed the quality of my products and I loved seeing the end product. But I ended up hating the thing that I got into it for. And that's what burned me out. It wasn't that I couldn't juggle all these things. It was that I started to hate the process of actually making the leather products, which was ironic to me because that was the reason why I got into leatherworking. And because I lost that, I lost that, that part of it, I just couldn't get myself to produce any more leather products. It was that moment that I decided to stop leatherworking. And at the time, I never called it burnout because I didn't think it was burnout. I thought it was just me finding a different interest that I found something else I wanted to do. But in reality, I had nothing at the time that I was looking forward to doing. It was more that every day I thought about the leatherworking process and everything else. I felt as if I trapped myself and I wasn't looking forward to doing the thing that I once looked forward to doing. So I would wake up and think about it and say, I started an LLC. Like I did all that. I started an LLC. I had an Etsy shop. I had bank accounts. I had money flowing in, money flowing out. I had the leather process in my basement where one station was set up for cutting, one was set up for shipping. I had all this stuff set up. I was all in. And I didn't realize I had put myself all in to the point where the only other thing I was doing at the time was every now and then posting one blog post. And every now and then I would have the podcast session with Mike. But other than that, I closed everything else out without even realizing I did that. And that's where I realized that I had trapped myself in that sense that I built this company. I built all this stuff where I was the only person doing everything. And that in and of itself became the part of it that burned me out because it became something that I dreaded waking up to do. And that's where I just decided to stop and move on. The difference though, I think that Mike will get into later is that I didn't have a moment where I stopped and I couldn't do anything creative. I actually stopped and pivoted to another creative thing right away because this is is how I've always operated. Whenever I lose interest in something, I don't think about it for a long period of time. I sit down and I reflect on why it happened. And then I jump right into the next thing that I wanted to try. Because I know if I dwell on the thing that I just burned out on, I would never get over it. I would sit there and think about how I could fix it because I'm a problem solver. So that's why I just pivot and I switch to something else. And that something else could be something that's not related to what you do. It could actually end up being just spending more time with family and friends. Yeah, that's 
I, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think every time we talk about this, Tim, and we've talked about this many times, whether it's been, we've actually talked about this earlier on other podcast episodes. And um, I think every time I talk to you about it, if there's something else that is revealed to me, um, the one thing that I think we can relate to in parallel is this idea of sort of loss of interest in the thing that we're working on. And I kind of want to dive a little bit deeper into that before we move on, because I think that that's one of the main symptoms that I didn't recognize in myself until after it was almost this, this moment when, um, and maybe to clarify when I said that my wife looked at me and I, I remember exactly where I was. I remember what the room looked like. Uh, it was in our old apartment the, to the point where I remembered the color we had this weird red colored carpet in the, in the room. And I remember like what it felt like to be in that kind of uncomfortable situation because this person who I had been married to for six years at the time was looking at me and I had known her since before that for another three. So I had known her for a long time before that was looking at me and basically telling me that I was a kind of a shadow of my former self. And just in terms of not my aspirations, not in terms of what my goals were for myself, but I just, and I remember feeling just like lost. Like I, I was just, showing up, doing all these things, but I was functioning almost in this uh, sort of pseudo robotic way where I was just keeping stuff together. I remember even putting in my, um, my Twitter tagline or my Facebook tagline for my account at one point, uh, a licensed architect just trying to keep it all together with super glue. And I really felt like that's kind of what it was. Like, like I was masking over with tape and glue and just like trying to hold all these pieces together. Um, but the reality was that I probably would have run myself even farther into the ground if I didn't have that person that was there to tell me point blank, you are, they, it's interesting that you even said what you did to Tim. I, like I never called it burnout when it happened. You know, I never said I'm burned out. Those words were never actually uttered until months later when I did research on my own or tried to figure out what was happening to me, that it was actually burnout. Um, but I think the thing that was interesting that I do want to dive a little bit deeper into is this idea that we lose the things that we are passionate about. We lose this kind of interest in, and I had been writing for about a year and a half up until that point. I had been designing separate little projects up until that point. And I had been working on all these things that I, I wanted to do that I wanted to work on. And then there was just this moment once that like light switch went off and I was having a conversation with my wife, everything just sort of fell apart. And I just, I basically just stopped doing everything. I remember I, I went off onto a, I had still planned to go to this uh, national AIA convention. And I remember sitting by the pool and thinking like, my life's not going to be the same anymore. Like I can't keep doing this to myself or I'm going to probably like, there was this literal sort of moment that I had for myself where I was like, I could die if I stay on this road. 
And I don't mean that lightly. Like I could literally bring myself to the point where I'm just, I'm killing myself and I'm doing it by this aspiration that I have for this greatness that I'm trying to pursue. Um, and I guess I, I do want to dive a little bit deeper though, in back into the the point I was trying to get to, which was what did it feel like when, I don't know if there's anything you could expand on. What did it feel like to like, did you feel like you were, had like a, like lost time to this thing that you were pursuing? Did you feel any sort of remorse that you were leaving it behind or was it not that way for you? At the time when I finally decided I was going to just stop doing it, I definitely felt like I was giving up on something before actually giving it a true shot, which I think is an unfair statement that a lot of people say to other people and say to themselves. Because when you think about this idea of giving something a fair shot, I went all in for a period of time where I really, I was seeing success from it. So I gave it more than a fair shot. And when you say a fair shot, it actually is so abstract that everyone's definition of what that means is different. So for me at the time that I decided to stop doing it all, it felt as if I was standing online for a Broadway show in New York City, waiting to get into the doors. And you had waited in this line at the tickets booth trying to get that last ticket to Hamilton and everyone else is in front of you. There's about 150 people. All of them, you know, are trying to get the same ticket. You know that your chances are probably slim that you're going to stay online and actually get it at the end. But for some reason, you've stood there for an hour and a half and you're just waiting to see the answer at the end, even though you know what it is. And that's how it felt. It's like when the Apple phones come out and people line up outside the door to get the, their hands on the first one and they wait overnight for it. Well, what if the phone wasn't there at the end? You know, you know what the possible outcome could be, but for some reason, you feel like you've invested the time into doing something so much so that your heart is set to see it through. And that's how I am as a person. I like to see things through to the end, but until I define what the end actually is, I can't say that to myself anymore. So at the time, I didn't have a definition for what the end was for this idea of the leather company. I got so caught up in the success of what it could possibly become that the end wasn't actually clear to me. There was no clear outcome from it. There was no clear learning goals from it. There was nothing that would get me to continue doing it because there was no purpose for it anymore. The ideas that were originally part of it was just to love the process and to enjoy doing it. And that's the thing that I had let go of without even knowing that I did that. And the other thing I wanted to just briefly mention is that when you were talking, Mike, it made me think about this idea that when I was in that midst of burning out, I didn't actually let anyone else on to the belief that I was. There was some shame felt with that, right? So when people ask me, oh, hey, Tim, how's your leather thing going? Like at a friend meetup or whatever. And I would just say, oh, it's going pretty good. I'm getting sales here and there. And in reality, in my head, I'm like, I really don't want to do this anymore, right? It's like you wish someone could see through that facade you put on and see into your soul and say, you know what? I know what you're going through. I know what you're trying to say. And I think what you need is to just stop doing anything related to it for a month. 
Because at the end of it all, I took a month to do nothing related to leatherworking. And instead, I did other things that I've wanted to do for a long time that I just needed time in my day to do. And that's, that's a really big point I wanted to mention that for me, time is what made me get over burnout. That I, I knew all the things I was trying to hustle on the side was related to this idea that everyone only has 24 hours in a day. And within those 24 hours, you need a certain amount of time for sleep. I don't care who you are, you need to sleep. And when you subtract that from your 24 hours, the time remaining is spent between so many things, eating food, working out, all the things that you want to fill that time with. And I didn't want to fill my time with leatherworking anymore. So I had to reposition that time because there were other things waiting in my queue that had to get started so I could at least test it. And that's how I got over the burnout side because I had things lined up that I wanted to try. And it was easy enough for me to view it from the perspective of time to let go of all the leatherworking side of things and to then jump into the next item on my queue because the next item could be the thing that I want to do forever. But each time I jump from one item to the next, if I let go of the other one, it helped me grow in such an amazing way. And I know that burnout often doesn't help someone grow. I don't feel like people who go through burnout come out the other end and say, yeah, that was a great experience. I wish I had that earlier in my life. For me, when I got over the burnout side, it's not something that I look at as an amazing experience. It's something that I look at and say, that's a failure I should have, I should have observed and known sooner that it was happening. So I could have let go of it sooner. But now that I've gone through it all, I'm really focusing on moving ahead. So this idea of remorse, it was there in the beginning because I felt like I was waiting in that line and I just, I got off that line. And honestly, after that moment, my fiance will tell you that if we walk anywhere and we're in a line, I walk off that line and I leave. If I'm at a store and there's a long line and there's no one checking out or people are taking too long, I leave everything where I am and I walk away. And she's like, why would you do that? And I'm like, I don't have time to stand in a line with no purpose because you can tell everyone's just standing there waiting for nothing. And I don't want to wait for nothing anymore. So now it helped me let go of those kinds of things. Whenever I'm waiting and wasting time, I, I cut it. I cut it out of my life as soon as I could and I move on. Yeah, there's, um, there's a lot to unpack there, but I'm glad that you brought up your your story a little bit more and, and that you described kind of the, the things that you were feeling because I think there are a lot of... There are a lot of feelings that we have when we deal with something as profound as burnout. And <clears throat> I remember it being kind of like the stages of grief. Um, there was this moment where you're, you're not able to even understand what's going on. I had that moment happen when I had that conversation with my wife where I just didn't understand. I, I, I couldn't believe that I was burning out or that I, was, that I had a problem. Right, I couldn't, I couldn't understand really that I was that person. You know, you you hear these stories about other people. You don't hear them about you. You don't you don't think that you're going to ever experience something. I think that was the one of the biggest hurdles I had to get over. It was that I'm not a perfect person, 
And not that I had never really claimed to be before that, but that I was able to stumble, that I was able to have these lessons that, yeah, I think you put it really well. It's not like I wanted this lesson. It's not that I wanted it earlier either. Um, but I, I do think of this quote that I, I've I've heard of since that really speaks to me a lot, Tim. And I don't know if you uh, have heard this before or feel the same way, but it's, we have two lives. The second begins when we realize we only have one and that's from Confucius. And I felt like that was that moment when, again, I don't say this lightly, but my life had changed forever kind of in that conversation. And I, I think you would probably, at least from the outside, Tim agree that like, I have not been the same person since. And you know, there, it's not like it's been a perfect process the whole time or that I haven't had stumblings from then that we'll get into in a little bit, but I think it was just the recognizing what was happening or that there was something happening, right? That there was something wrong. I didn't know that it was burnout. I, we're going to talk about the types of burnout here in just a second, because I think what you were describing is a good segue into describing what types of burnout there are, and then maybe the immediate solutions to all three of those. But I think the first step is just really recognizing the fact that there is a problem, because if I didn't know that there was a problem, like I could kind of sense, and you might've felt this way too, that there was something wrong. Um, but I didn't necessarily think it was with me, if that makes sense. I don't know if that resonates with you or if you felt like that was happening to you. No, I didn't feel like there was something that was wrong. I, this, this is actually, I, I guess the ways that we experience it are always going to be different from person to person. But for me, it wasn't that something was wrong with what I was doing. It was actually a physical reaction and physical feeling that related to mine. It was a feeling of waking up and uh, like knowing that you had to do something, but you didn't want to do it. And it's this groggy, lethargic feeling in your head of, I know I just want to procrastinate. And that's the biggest one that Mike knows I typically don't procrastinate. Like I usually jump into doing something and I'll build procrastination into my schedule. So it's not procrastinating. It's actually part of the day. But at the time, I actually would always be trying to find something else to do so actively because I was trying to avoid facing the thing that I knew I had to do all the time. And it was a physical feeling in my brain of, I don't want to do this thing. I'm so lethargic about it. I just feel drained thinking about it. And I know how much time it's going to take. And I didn't want to put the time in. It was like trying to pull a child and tell them, hey, you're sick, eat this medicine. And like, no one wants to eat the cherry flavored medicine, right? And so for me, that's how I felt. I felt like, like there was something that was forcing me and saying, you got to do this thing. And then I didn't want to do it. So, that, so that, that's how it was for me. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I think that it's interesting that you, you mentioned that I think the the ways that we experience burnout can be different. And I think that's absolutely true. There are, I'm going to list a, several symptoms that the community, the medical community uh, has sort of described burnout pot potentially having. I will just say right now that Tim and I are not doctors. This is not medical advice. We're just talking about this from our own experiences, but 
broadly, the symptoms of burnout can be such as loss of identity, loss of motivation, loss of efficiency, depression, frustration, exhaustion, anxiety, apathy, and just detachment. So I think a lot of those things can kind of present themselves. Maybe you'll have more of one than another, or like in Tim's case, I think you, you kind of mentioned or talked about how you procrastinate. Like when you see changes in the patterns of your behavior, I think that's a big one too that I've seen. Um, so it doesn't necessarily have to fit neatly into a, one of these pieces that I just talked about or described, but maybe it's just recognizing that when something is wildly different from what your normal personality type is. I think that that is also a very big indicator that you might, if it's not burnout, something could be off, right? So just to kind of go over that into the the next um, sort of mini lesson, we, that first mini lesson was a, was a big one. Um, but I think the, the idea is basically that no one starts at burnout there are, we each have our own story and we each have our own paths to uh, possibly being burned out. And then the second one that I wanted to talk about is that burnout is treatable and can be overcome, but it's not easy. And that's because of how complicated I think that this discussion becomes when you, when you talk about how burnout relates to each person and the kinds of burnout that you can have. So just very briefly, I want to talk about three types of burnout. The first is overwhelm, which I think is, Tim, you'd probably agree is the one that most people think of immediately when they think of burnout. We just described my story. That's the one that I dealt with the most. Um, but the other two that I think are also very important to discuss because they do happen to people. And this it's not necessarily because you're overworked or you're overwhelmed. Um, but the other one that happens a lot is neglect. So... When you feel as though, and before I even go into these, something I didn't mention is that the medical community at large has described and categorized burnout as a workplace first related type of symptomatic um, uh, process that can happen to you or like that you can be uh, diagnosed with this, but it's primarily because of the workplace. So some of these things that we're about to talk to are more related to those uh, workplace related things. But I do think that we're going to break down a couple things that could be happening in your life later in the conversation. So these three items, overwhelm, neglect, lack of development. We talked about overwhelm. Neglect is when people at your office, people at your work are not they're not treating you well. It's you could say that you're in a toxic environment. You are essentially being uh, disregarded or actively being pushed aside in your job. So if you can imagine, um, I, I remember a story of talking to somebody uh, a little while back, and she was describing how at her office they essentially kept kind of gaslighting her into thinking that she was going to make a, a sort of a, a raise or a promotion soon. And they kept telling, Oh, we'll just, just wait, just wait. We'll, we'll get, we'll get there. And they kept dumping more and more uh, types of work on her. And she kept coming back and, and trying to understand, well, okay, well, am I going to be 
properly compensated for the work that you're giving me. You're giving me new types of work. You're giving me different types of work and more work. Is there any way that you can, like you can actually kind of come to the table here and actually, you know, give me what you offered me originally. And they just kept telling her, Oh, we'll just wait, just wait. And this process, this cyclical process just kept wearing down on her. And she didn't feel as though the people that were working with her um, sort of appreciated her. And ultimately she started to get burned out because it wasn't just the type of work that she was doing, but in the office setting that she had, it was hard to even show up every day and not feel like she was being taken advantage of. And Tim, I'm just going to briefly spin it to you. Do you know of anybody who is in your own life who has dealt with this in particular before? You might not, but I just wanted to ask you. Yeah, I feel like neglect is a really big one at design agencies and firms because this is one that I think also relates to this idea of being pigeon-held. There's, all, there's always a terminology in any design profession that people refer to. In architecture, they used to call people CAD monkeys. Now they call them Revit monkeys or BIM monkeys. And even the term in and of itself is derived from a very derogatory place. It's this idea of enslavement. It's this idea of having someone repeat tasks. And it's this idea of tests that were done with monkeys in the past. And so when you think of that term, it's already coming from a negative place. And what those terms refer to, if you're thinking of your own design profession, is someone that you have in your office who repeats the same tasks over and over and over and over again. No matter what project it is, they're always doing the same tasks. For example, you might have a graphic designer who joined you to do graphic design, but a partner at the firm might have been into this idea of utilizing that person's capabilities to essentially help with proposals where they can just repeat the same tasks all the time. But at some point, they might have seen that this person is great at developing proposal Excel documents with numbers because they inherently knew what something was valued at. And then for every day, months on end, that person is just pushed to do Excel documents. But they went to school and their whole life was about design. So why are they developing numbers and crunching numbers if they just joined you to do design? And they do that for years and years and years. And then it leads to them not only leaving the firm at some point, it leads to them either doing something bad at the firm or them moving on and actually deciding to quit and leave the field in general. I'm finding a lot of architects who leave their, the practice where they're working and actually move into not doing architecture anymore. They actually move on to doing something totally different and despise architecture and the profession. And there are people who are extremely vocal about it because that feeling of neglect was so pronounced in their career that they no longer ever want to think about what it's like to be an architect anymore. Yeah, I think that that's a, it's a sad, but a, a very uh, salient example there, Tim. I think that that speaks a lot to what I've seen happen, especially when there were either downtimes. So going back as far as when I graduated from college and the recession hit, a lot of people 
Now, granted that you might argue that that was a little bit of a different situation because a lot of people were losing their jobs regardless. But I feel like a lot of people at that time, sort of similar to what has happened with the pandemic, have recognized, hey, I don't need to be doing this for whatever wage I'm making or, you know, this isn't just for designers, but it could be for a lot of different trades or a lot of different people where you, you kind of hit this wall where am I being appreciated? Am I being sort of given the opportunities to, uh, to excel or to grow at all? And I think that I, I do want to make a distinction here between neglect and lack of development. So the, process that you just described or the story that you just described, I would say is probably somewhere in the middle of neglect and lack of development. So neglect, the nuance here, I think it's important is neglect. I think there's people actively working against you. And then I think lack of development is more of uh, maybe describing that pigeonhole situation where uh, you are not necessarily doing anything that you <laughs> thought you would ever do. You're stuck doing something very repetitive or stuck doing something where you literally cannot go any farther in your career because you're given the same type of task over and over again. And I've seen people in pretty much every office that I worked in, and this is not necessarily anything against the offices, but I think it's a symptom of a larger issue, which is some people tend to like certain people and they help them grow in an office. And some people either don't acknowledge others and they just leave them there to their own devices or, you know, there's not many champions for some people, I guess is the best way to describe it. So those people continue to cycle. They don't get the development that they want whether that's on them or on their employer or their supervisor, that's debatable. I think it depends on that person's situation and, and what's going on. And I think that the, the idea of that kind of, um, I hate that term, but CAD monkey, that, that is more of a, I would say a neglect where there's this active, like we're going to put you in this role and that's just how it's going to be. Right. I think that that is a different th- thing than almost forgetting that somebody exists in some ways. Like, oh, yeah, they're on my staff, but I don't really use them as anything more than like a pawn on the chessboard. And they might have more aspirations, but I just kind of don't care. I need to get this job done or I need to get this project out or whatever. So I would say that there are the, if we go back to just summarize these three types of burnout, overwhelm is when you're doing a way too much, or you're doing so many things that you start to lose interest in the things that you were passionate about. Neglect is when somebody is actively trying to put roadblocks in your way, uh, or they are trying to, um, there's just like a a tone of uh, somebody working against you uh, to ultimately you burn out because of that. And lack of development is where you're just not interested in what you're doing and you're doing it for so long. I mean, you, you brought up Tim, you know, that you're working for, you have to sleep for, let's say, let's say hypothetically, everybody slept eight hours, right? That's a third of your life. You're probably working for another eight hours. It's another third of your life. So if you're doing, if you're not awake for a third and the other third, you're doing something you don't want to do, 
that's going to burn you out pretty quick because then you only have a couple hours just to exist in your life. And I think that that's pretty much where lack of development kind of kicks in is people just start to feel as though their life isn't going anywhere or their job isn't going anywhere. And they see it so often because they have to come back to it every, you know, five days a week that it just becomes too much for them. Um, I think from there, we talked a little bit about sort of people that we, we have kind of seen experience this before, but I didn't know before we go on to like the next uh, mini lesson, if you had any other thoughts on, on what we just discussed. No, the only other thing I was going to add here is that I think a lot of it, it has developed because of the industrial revolution and the fact that we're still pushing people to work as though we're in an industry such as textile and mills and things like that. You give up the best hours of your lives to work for someone else in a majority of the cases, unless you're a sole practitioner or you work for yourself. And I think the three items that we just went over, overwhelm, neglect, and lack of development are all related to the industrial revolution too. That when you're working in a factory, and I've worked in a factory when I was younger, you do feel overwhelmed because you're physically trying to fulfill things. And you're trying to do it at a fast pace. But now that we're in a technological age, we feel overwhelmed mentally at a higher level than you would if it were physical, because physically your body tells you you can't do it anymore. Mentally, your brain never tells you to quit. You just keep going. You work through the end, right? Like when you're done running a 5K in the middle of it, your body tells you you're done and you'll walk the rest. You're not going to push yourself to run, but mentally we could never identify when to stop. Neglect is the same thing. In the industrial revolution, you do one thing in a factory and that's the thing you do. It's literally repetitive. You, you'll see people working in factories, doing the same repetitive motion so often that they can do them and they literally fall asleep doing it. And then lack of development is the biggest one. You always feel like you're you're stuck in this role because no one sees that you can do more and you want to do more. Everyone wants to grow. There is no one that doesn't want to grow in some way. And if you don't want to grow at the place you're at, it's not because you don't want to grow. It's because you don't like the place you're at. And so I just wanted to mention that because I think when you start applying ideas from the industrial revolution in terms of working to what people do today, it's, it's still the same thing. The, the issues that were faced back then are still being faced now. It's just on a higher level and it's more mental now than it is physical. Yeah, I think that's, that's very well put and it, it kind of wraps uh, that idea up in a, in a nice bow. I think that the, the one thing that is maybe changing a little bit as well because it's more mental or psychological is that the conversations are happening more and maybe that's just a, a product also of um, the culture that we find ourselves in now where people are just more open to talk about these things. Even when I think about it, so we're recording this in uh, 2021, uh, four years after I burned out. And I remember even then there weren't a lot of, I mean, there were articles, there were things that were out there, but even then uh, we weren't having the conversations that we are having now. I think you'd probably agree, Tim, that we're having a lot more conversations about burnout and mental health. And like, 
I, I was, we're recording this in May and this is uh, mental health month now. And I'm not really sure when that started. Uh, it might've been a while ago, but it's something that's become more, I've become more aware of it. And I think a lot of other people have been become more aware of these ideas and these, these thoughts and are, are willing to talk about them. I mean, I don't know if we would have even had these conversations 10, 20 years ago as, as a society. And now I'm, I'm, a, I'm glad that we're at least talking about it, you know? Um, so let's move on to these next, uh, couple, uh, many lessons. The one that I think we've had conversations about, um, on clubhouse and, and just sort of offline, Tim is this idea that burnout targets well-meaning high-performing creatives. Uh, there's a quote here I want to read passion and burnout can be two sides of the same professional life. And this is from Swarna Kuruganti from thrive Global. Thrive Global, excuse me. And I think ultimately that creatives and designers and architects are just more susceptible to burnout because when I think back on how I burned out, I was very passionate about, at least in my, in my situation, I, I feel like if it's, this is one path to burnout where you can be so passionate about an idea. You can be so involved or connected to, let's say, just take out the passion for a second. You're so connected and tethered to the work that you do, that you put your identity into that work and you associate the work to yourself, to who you are, to your identity. And I think that we connect that because we're so passionate about either helping others, changing the world, making an impact. At what point, Tim, do you feel that it becomes counterproductive to pour that much of yourself personally into your own work? And is there a line that you sort of draw for yourself? Yeah. When I think about this idea of connecting with my work, I'm always connected to my work, but I actually approach it from a different perspective. I look at it now in this way that if I'm not enjoying what I'm doing, I'm not going to put it out in the first place. So I have to enjoy the thing I'm doing. And if the thing I'm doing doesn't feel like it's helping me grow and learn about something new in some different way or to evolve a skill that I have, I decide not to do it. I'm very, I'm very binary in that sense. I'll choose yes or no. When it comes to having an audience and sharing my work with people, I would rather the work be something that is so true to me that when someone sees it, they see authenticity without even having to say the word. And it's a word that is now becoming so overused because everyone's telling you to just be authentic. Just be authentic. Mike, you should just be authentic. People will follow you. But that's not really the case because being authentic used to have a better connotation to it. Nowadays, it just means you've been being fake. Stop being someone you're not and start being who you really are. And when you think about that, you're like, well, how do I even know who I am, right? Creative people don't generally know who they are. The reason for that is you haven't done enough and shared enough to find your own way and your own style, your own voice through your work. Most people are trying to be authentic without even having put in the work to gain the proper experience to know what direction they're trying to go in. So for me, all of the work that I'm producing isn't the finite Tim. It's who I'm going to become 
because it's never going to be 100% defined. So when I think about this idea of connecting to my work, everything that I produce is something that I truly care about. And it's something that I want to share because I want others to be exposed to the world of design from my perspective. I didn't have someone who did that for me when I was younger. I would have never known about architecture and what architects actually did. I joined the profession not even knowing what an architect truly did because I somehow fell into it. It was all by chance. So when I think about that idea of sharing my work and helping others, changing the world, doing all that stuff, it all comes back to just approaching things and knowing which things that, my, that I don't actually want to do. And if I don't actually want to do it, I don't even think about it again. I only think about the things that I want to do now because I learned it from prior experiences that the more you focus on trying to please other people before knowing who you are, the more you're going to fall into the trap of doing something you hate doing. And I'd rather not hate what I do. So I think about all my work. I think about how I'm going to make it fun and how I'm going to find excitement and joy for myself out of it. And I do that work. Yeah, I think that 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 makes a lot of sense in terms of where you are now. I think the thing that came to mind as you were talking was, and you you touched on it a little bit at the end, and I kind of want to expand on this a little bit as an idea, is the problem I see with burnout is, and I'm struggling with this even as I'm writing a book literally about burnout, is the book is almost a, and this idea, this talk, this conversation that we're having is almost a way of medicating after the symptoms have presented themselves. Somebody who hasn't actually experienced burnout yet probably won't pick up the book I'm writing, probably won't think about, oh, well, this is going to happen to me at some point. It's, I think back to the, the idea of who I thought I was going to be before burnout, you know, before burnout actually hit me. And I never imagined I would ever even have burnout, right? And I think that the way that you just described it was very true to you because you have had those kinds of experiences where you've learned from sort of those, those moments in your life, those things that have um, taught you to not take on a project unless you think it's going to be fun. Right. And beyond the, the things that are uh, sort of, you brought up the, the leather company earlier. Is there anything else like that, that sort of, I guess, informed the way that you think about your work now, or is that pretty much the key one? The biggest one, honestly, besides that, and I think it's bigger than that one, is when I first started blogging, and this is going to relate to, I would say, 99% of people out there who have a phone. For me, I used to focus on metrics and quantity over what I actually was doing. I would look at the statistics of my blog every day when I started and say, oh, you know, it was actually exciting when I got one person on the blog who was a unique viewer, someone who discovered me somehow. When I got to a hundred a month or something like that, I was like, oh, this is amazing. I'm getting so many more views. At some point, I reached a dip where it was just a hundred, if not less every month. It just kind of stayed that way. And I was like, oh, why is no one discovering my work? And I started to get a little bit sad about it, right? And it's the same for people who have Instagram or Facebook or anything where someone can give you a like or a thumbs up because everyone focuses on how many views they got, 
how many thumbs up they're getting, and how many comments they're receiving. When you get into that trap, you start to see that you're producing work for that reason, to get more likes, to get more views, to get all this stuff, that the work actually doesn't matter because what you're doing is you're transforming the work to conform to what you believe your audience is actually looking for. And when you start doing that, the work isn't true to you anymore. It's true to what you believe your audience is looking for. And when you go down that path, you start going in this way where you lose sight of the reasons why you were doing that thing in the first place. If you had started an Instagram account or a YouTube channel or a blog, and you didn't even have a topic in mind, and all you were doing was trying to fulfill the needs of other people, you would never have started the blog. Then you have to go back to, well, what was the reason why I first started? And the reason why I bring this up is because people wouldn't think that that's burnout. But how many times have you, Mike, and have I said, hey, I'm going to do this Instagram thing where I post once a day for two months. And one month through, you're like, I'm done with this. I'm not going to do this anymore. Why am I spending so much time to do this? Because just doing that didn't actually help us do anything. There was no foresight. There was no plan. There was no goal. It was just to do this thing. And when you're doing something because you believe that it's going to help you do something else, but it's not actually tied to any bigger idea, you don't actually want to do it. And that's what the time helps you realize that you didn't have something you're actually working towards. So now I need to know what I'm working towards for myself. And then everything else will come. When I get a like, it's to me, it's, well, wow, look, someone liked it. It's no longer, oh, okay, how can I get two? How can I get three? Because when you start falling into that trap, you lose sight of who you are. So that's why I, I wanted to just mention that because to me, that was the first and biggest part of burning out because I started losing sight of why I started my blog, why I started everything else. Yeah, I think that that's really powerful. I, there's something that resonated with me a lot when you were talking, which was this idea of looking for metrics that don't necessarily matter. And I, I think we can both relate to this sort of content creation idea, Tim, just because we're kind of in it. But for anybody who's not necessarily um, jiving with that, but but is working towards something and trying to just do it just to do it. I think of things like, um, uh, so if you're, if you're trying to just win, you know, just, just win whatever, like, what does that even really mean? And I, I think of things like, uh, this this idea of the uh, uh, infinite game that Simon Sinek brings up where in his book, he describes the difference between a finite game and an infinite game. And a finite game is something where you have a potential winner and a loser, and there's a set amount of rules. So think of like a, you know, a, a sporting match or something like that. Like there is an end to that, that thing. And an infinite game is something where there's potentially, you know, like the, the whole idea is to sustain the game itself, to sustain sort of what is going on. And there could be a, somebody could uh, be more successful than another person at, at one time or less successful or something like that, but you never really win. 
And so think of like, you can't win at business. You can't win at uh, life, really. You can be better at it. You can do better. And I think when I, my mentality switched from, I need to win architecture, whatever that means, to I just need to be somebody who is getting better in my life towards, uh, you know, you can still have that goal. You can still have that marker, that bigger picture for yourself. But like you said, Tim, when you're not working on something that is deliberately, uh, it doesn't have to necessarily even be long-term, but it has to be something that is bigger than just, hey, I'm going to get to a thousand likes on Instagram, or I'm going to get to a thousand followers on LinkedIn. I mean, I've gotten to some of those places and I don't know what I do with that after. Like, I don't know what that really means for my life after. And versus I would really like to have a consistent, well-balanced day every day. And even if I don't hit that every day, I can start again on the next day and strive for something a little bit better, incremental changes, consistent changes, bettering myself uh, sort of in the uh, way that the author James Clear might say or describe as like 1% better, just try to be 1% better here, 1% better there. And these gains that you'll have over time, you'll start to reap the benefits, but you're working towards more of an abstraction than kind of a finite thing. I think whenever I've chased a finite thing, it's ended up uh, in some ways uh, badly when I put all my eggs in one basket and that's like the only thing I can think of. Like there's no, there's no purpose beyond that. It's just, Hey, as you described him, I'm just going to start a blog and, uh, I'm going to think about these metrics and I'm going to look at them and, and like, I'm going to be obsessed about it a little bit. Uh, not your words, but like, that's even how I felt when I was starting my blog. Um, so I don't know if you want to add anything to that before we move on, but yeah, it, it to that last point that you made, it's kind of like when you find a, a small YouTuber who's questioning why they're not growing and you look at their their channel and when they ask about not growing and why it's happening, you can start to see from their channel in a lot of cases that every video is trying to jump on a trend, but the trends are so different that their channel has no purpose. And when people see that your channel has no purpose, they're not going to follow you. For example... Some people might do a head, a talking head video about mindset, how to be motivated and how to make money and how to get rich quick. Then their next video might be about the next uh, hip hop song that just came out because it's such a big thing. But then their next video is going to be a video about unboxing a toy for their kid because all these things are about a trend and they're trying to jump on the trend train. Yes, you can find success doing that, but now it's not about those things. It's actually about the voice you brought to the table. So everyone has different reasons for doing something. And if you don't have yours, people will see it. And the last point I wanted to make is that for me, when, I'm, when I hear both of us talking about this idea, what it comes down to is time, that you're trading your time for something else. And if you trade your time for likes, you start to find that you don't want to trade your time for likes. What you actually want to trade your time for is something that you enjoy doing. So if you enjoy taking photographs of your children and that happens to get you likes, now that's something you're going to do long-term. But if you are taking photos of your children because you are trying to get more likes and likes were your goal, you're going to hate trading your time because you're going to see that the number 
isn't as big as you wanted it to be. Because when you only focus on your number, you only focus on more, more, more. Great example of that is if you're an, an employee working for someone and you think about your salary or how much you're getting paid per hour, you always think that you want more money. Studies have shown that even if people reach the average amount that should be great for someone to live in America, they will always push for more, more, more. People don't actually know when to stop, but the more they get, the less happy they actually are because they only believe that money, the quantity of money they have is relative to how happy they actually are. But the finite number for how happy someone is is a living wage per year of about $70,000 for an average American family. When you think about that number, you can find a lot of Americans are getting to that point. But even when they're there, they're still not happy because they want more. We always want more. So that's why focusing on a quantity will always lead to burnout because the number is never finite. And it relates outside of content creation to business because for me, when I had the leather company, I started focusing on the quantity of money I was making. And I knew what modifiers could be adjusted to boost the amount of revenue that year. And what it turned out to be was I could lower the price of a product, which means I have to put more time to make that product, which then puts me in a competitive advantage in the market I was in to then make more sales. But to do that, required more time for me. And I wasn't willing to trade. Very well said. Let's move on to the next uh, mini lesson. Put on your oxygen mask first. So there's this, this adage where people will say, put on your oxygen mask first in a crisis and if you're in a plane and the plane is either hitting turbulence or uh, potentially about to crash, you're supposed to put on your oxygen mask first so that you can still uh, maintain essentially that you can protect yourself, that you can receive enough oxygen to your brain so that you are coherent enough to help the person next to you put on their oxygen mask next. And I think that that is one of the ideas that really stood out to me when I hit burnout. And I want to talk about that and unpack that a little bit here. So I realized when I hit burnout that I was overweight. I hadn't been to the doctor or the dentist in several years. Um, it's not something that I am particularly proud of admitting, but I was just a very unhealthy physically, an unhealthy person physically. And I hadn't been spending time. So the time that I was spending, we were just talking about Tim, where you get to kind of, what are you trading your time for? Well, I was trading my time for these metrics that I apparently <laughs> like couldn't even really understand why I was doing them or trying to achieve them. So I was working on these courses, working on these blogs, trying to achieve something, whatever that means. And I was trading that time to do that, but I was taking that time away from working on myself, working on my relationships, working on my health. And it resulted once I finally went to the doctor that I had, uh, now I had kind of known this 
ahead of time for my, my family history has high cholesterol, high blood pressure. Most of my family is, uh, or leans towards becoming overweight easily. And I just have those kind of genes in me. Um, but I was 75, 65 pounds plus overweight. And, um, I think for a long time, because I'm a tall, uh, and I had been kind of lankier earlier in my life in like high school, um, from playing soccer, I had just assumed that my, <laughs> my weight was evenly distributed over such a tall person. Right. So I didn't even think about it until I really recognized I had, I had a problem. And when I went to the doctor, um, it was the first time that I had been put on some kind of medication to help me like ever in my life. Um, I take something, you know, like a, a daily vitamin, but like it uh, up until that point, I had never taken anything for like blood pressure. So I, I, I felt sort of like what we were talking about before this initial shame that I was like less than that. I was not able to, uh, live my life properly as a human being. Um, but I also immediately had this idea that I needed to change, uh, I needed to change who I was by changing the kinds of things that I was, I was doing every day and the things that I was focusing on, because I, I recognized that the things like I was doing that were destructive to my health. Like I've told this story before, but I, I remember distinctively going to, uh, after work or at lunch, I would, but before I would even go home, I would go to the gas station and I would get these like 32, you know, plus ounce, like uh, big gulp, uh, drinks, 64 ounce, uh, sodas. And, uh, you know, at that point it's like almost my entire daily intake of calories in one drink. And I, I started to realize that I was doing this so often that I had essentially, it had become more of a habit to do it than to not do it and to, to, to do these things that would, uh, ultimately gain weight and make me feel bad. I thought that that was just me being stressed out, but it was really more of me just not taking care of myself in terms of even just like daily habits. And so I started thinking about, okay, well, what does it look like for me to put my oxygen mask on first? So the first thing that I did was I started just full stop on a lot of things because with a restrictive diet, I, I, this is just how I thought of it in my head initially. I had no research at that point. I had no idea what I was even doing, Tim. I was just kind of winging it a little bit. Um, but I was like, okay, if I stopped all these things that I think are immediately bad for myself, what's going to happen? Like the worst thing that's going to happen is I'm going to you know, go into some sort of withdrawal, but I'm going to at least recognize what are the things I can easily bring into my life over time. And the first thing that I got rid of was that soda. And I haven't had soda in over four years now. And it's probably one of the best decisions I ever did because for two reasons. One, for me now, I feel like I probably could drink soda, but at the time it was representative of making a lifestyle choice. And I think it's still something that I'll maintain for a long time, if not forever, where me deciding to not do that to myself, to not drink those sugary drinks, to not um, put that burden on my body was a conscious decision to regain control in my life and to, to put that oxygen mask on first and to, and to take control of 
the chaos that I had kind of put myself in. And once I did that, I felt clearer. Like I had, because I gained that little bit of control, I could do other things. Um, so I stopped actually writing for probably about a year. I had just, I launched that course and then I put it out into the ether and I walked away from Evolving Architect for <laughs> about a year and basically told my audience, hey, um, I'm not in a good place. I'm not in a good way. And I don't know when I'm coming back. I don't know if I'm coming back to the Evolving Architect stuff. I hope I do, but I, peace out, guys. I got I to gotta work on me. And I spent the next uh, six months or so on this journey that I, I know you probably remember me being on, Tim, but um, the, the thing that I found or the lesson that I learned was that it has helped me so much kind of get through burnout and to uh, go back to this idea of putting on my oxygen mask first, it's just identify the areas of my life that I have that I can either work on or, or uh, choose to sort of um, emphasize. And I think of it like this, a lot of people think of this idea of work-life balance, right? And this idea that there's this black and white, you got work, you got life. Like it's one, like it's one or the other, you have to choose one or the other. And I found that uh, I, it's not like the scales of justice it's more like a uh, sort of a, a series of buckets that you can kind of put different things, put different emphasis on, put your time into different pieces of your life. And once I started recognizing this, I, I actually just happened upon this interview with uh, singer-songwriter Jewel on when she was being interviewed by uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. And she says, happiness is a byproduct of certain behaviors. Harmony is saying my life has many components. All of those limbs have, have to have tone. That brings about harmony. That brings about satisfaction. If we only have one limb that is buff and the rest of us is atrophied, we have disharmony and we have dissatisfaction. So I started thinking about this in less of the balance, work-life balance, and really started thinking of this word harmony. And I started doing more research, started thinking about it. And this is actually a common thing that, a lot of people are talking about now. Um, and if you dissect your life into a series of buckets, there are common ones that you could probably think of, and they're not going to be the same across any one person. Tim, your buckets are not the same as mine and vice versa. Uh, but the top four that you might think of as you're listening to this are family, work, faith, and hobbies. And those are in many of the surveys that I've looked at many of the things that I've researched, those are the kind of the foremost common that most people have. Other ones might include finances, legacy, health, personal growth, service, play, social life, love, the list goes on. You can kind of get where I'm going with this, Tim. And I think overall, what I did was I started recognizing, okay, what is the thing that I have been neglecting the most? It's my health. So for me, I recognize, okay, my bucket's really full with work. My bucket's really full with creative endeavors, but I'm not, I haven't put anything into this one bucket of health in forever. So I stopped uh, stressing myself out with the emerging or the evolving architect. I stopped drinking soda. I started eating better. I, I lost 75 pounds over the course of six months and I started 
uh, running. I started, uh, I guess you, it was more like jogging or walk jogging, uh, for the first couple months. Um, but I entered a 5k for the first time and I really just worked on my health. I worked on that as like the first primary thing that I could, I could do because if I didn't have that, if I didn't have that, that place of, of harmony, where everything else could kind of pull from, I felt like it was, it was, it was, it was not going to help me get to any of the other things I wanted to work on. I had to slowly over time rebuild myself um, because so much of my life around me had atrophied. It felt like I had like not worked on those muscles in my life in such a long time that I had to kind of come back to them. And I, I, Somebody mentioned this other on the other day on a podcast, and it wasn't related to burnout, but it, it just made me think of it. Being selfish, when we think about this word selfish, <clears throat> I think that selfish gets a bad rap sometimes because it it has this connotation that is negative. When I say the word selfish, you probably don't think of something good. You think of something that is conceited. I think is another word that I think of. And in some ways, I think that in this case, especially when you're trying to get yourself out of burnout, being selfish can be selfless. And it's something that I've thought a lot about over time where if I didn't take that effort, if I didn't make those choices to better myself and to really focus in on myself, I could be in a completely different place right now. And I might be in a very bad place. Um, I don't know if there's specific things you want to talk about here, Tim, but I did want to ask you just a general question that we can either jump into or we could talk about something else. What are some of the ways that you've kind of kept, um, whether you call it balance or harmony uh, in your life and how do you return to it when you know that it's not, you're kind of out of harmony? For me, it's, it's something that took some time to develop, but I'm very self-aware now. And what I mean by that is I never used to think about how I felt as I did something, but now I'm very in tune with it. So an example of that is during the day when I'm working uh, at my full-time job, what ends up happening is I'm developing so much work for the firm at the firm that I find myself spending a lot of time at my desk, sitting down, doing the work there, being on phone calls, being in meetings, writing things, designing things, taking care of all of the, the work. What I end up missing is outdoor time, going out, getting fresh air, stretching my legs and resetting myself throughout the day. The reason why I'm mentioning that is because I used to think that that was okay. Just go through your whole day. Don't even stretch. Don't even get up. Just sit there. Now, I know that if I sit down for longer than two hours on end without getting up, I feel not only like my body has gotten to a point where my muscles are contracted and it actually hurts to stand up fast because you're stretching the muscles out, but I also feel it mentally in my brain where I start to feel lethargic. I feel like my body is falling asleep. I feel like my brain is using so much energy just to try and keep up now. Whereas if I get up at that two hour mark or even before then, and I build in some walks through the day going and just standing outside in the sun for a little bit, coming back in, I feel so much better just having had motion and having had something change in that, in that time frame. The other thing is eating that I used to eat anything and everything whenever I wanted. 
I still kind of do that now, but I've changed the diet of the things I choose. I don't go and choose burgers because I don't actually enjoy eating burgers for lunch anymore. Whenever I used to do that, I would always find that the hour afterwards, I start to feel slow, really slow. If I eat anything greasy for lunch, I feel like my brain really gets clogged up and I can't think with clarity as I would without it. So now I try and fill most of my lunches with, with whole grains, with things that I could actually digest and won't take away my ability to focus. And then at night is when I eat anything and everything that will slow me down and get me ready for bed. And that doesn't include burgers, actually, because recently I found that I, I get gout, which is from eating certain meats eating certain vegetables and eating certain things and also drinking liquor. So any alcoholic beverages is bad. So I actually don't drink anymore. I don't drink any alcoholic beverages. Not that I used to drink a lot anyway. And I also changed my diet even more significantly after that. So now everything is in sync, but being self-aware is the beginning of knowing when it's time to get up and make a change. So my fiance will tell you that there are times when during a day I will be talking to her and I'll say, you know, I wanted to do this today. This was my goal, but I'm not feeling up to it. And this is why. So I'm not going to do it. And I was never able to do that in the past. I would push through and just try it anyway. And I would say that the work that came out was 10% of what I could actually do if I wanted to be doing it. So being self-aware saves time and it also gives you the ability to switch because now if I don't want to do that thing, I switch it for something health-wise. I go out for a run, I go climbing, I go and eat certain foods, or I just spend my day reading and just relaxing because that's also supposed to be part of my day too. So it, being self-aware helps me identify the moments where I need to make change. Yeah, I think that's a, a really well uh, well put point because going into a little bit of the the ways that we get back to this harmony or create harmony or however you want to describe it, I think for me, it was more about identifying what was causing the problems, right? So we've talked, to, we've talked ad nauseum about what those things were that were causing my issues and what was causing my burnout. So once you identify that, once you acknowledge, once you realize and are self-aware of what's going on, you can start to make these changes, whether that's through goals, whether that's through, um, I think, creating a some type of metric for yourself and documenting what's happening. So for me, one thing that helped me a lot was when I was trying to lose weight, I started using a, a fitness tracker to track my steps and then to also track literally everything I ate. And for the first two weeks, I was horrified, honestly, what I, what I ate because it was very eye-opening. Like you start to become a little bit sort of like you think you're more aware of what's actually happening. I think, I don't know what you would call this phenomena, but you think that you are more aware of and that you have more control over the things that you either eat or the things that you're doing or the time you're spending on things, but without actually tracking it, 
there's no way of really knowing. So I started tracking it. I started uh, acknowledging what I was doing wrong and and kind of giving myself a break on, okay, don't worry too much about the past. Just try to, you know, build something towards your future and and stay optimistic that you can change. And then setting setting some kind of parameters, whether that was, okay, well, I'm going to try to create this goal for myself. I do want to lose some weight. How much weight do I want to lose? How do I get there? Creating a plan for myself, setting that goal, and then executing it. And I think that's also a part where a lot of us get tripped up where when we're trying to help ourselves out and try to work towards something that's better. The reason why burnout is so sneaky, I think in a lot of ways is because it's able to sort of perpetually keep us in burnout and it's tough to really break out of that. I think at least it was for me. And the only way I was able to do that was by cutting ties with a lot of the things very deliberately, almost like I had a, a smoking habit or I had something like that where you're just cold turkey, you just like, can't do it anymore. Um, and gaining a little bit of control here and there and being more self-aware. Um, there's lots of tips and tricks I think that we could talk about, Tim, but I think what I'm more interested in, in just sort of closing this as our, our last mini topic on would be just to say that to my younger self, even after burnout happens, burnout can happen again. And you know this uh, from just our discussions that we've had over the last couple months here. But I, in 2017, went through burnout very heavily. But in late 2020, early 2021, I actually went through burnout again. And I... I think that going through burnout once and coming out on the other side successfully doesn't mean that you are immune. It doesn't grant you this sort of protective shell for the rest of your life where burnout can never happen to you again. I think the one advantage that burnout had for me initially was that it gave me these tools to work with, these things that I could recognize so that if it did start to happen again, I could get out of it sooner and I could really start to adjust quicker than I I did before. And I didn't have to wait three or four or five, 10 years for it to, you know, take over my life again. And I could kind of get out of it quicker than it it probably took me a year and a half to really get out of burnout the first time uh, and really feel like a normal person again. I started to feel burnout creep back into my life and it was unsettling. I felt like a failure as though the work I had done before to get myself out of burnout didn't matter somehow. And then I realized that all the tools and support to adjust and move forward were kind of within reach. And it wasn't easy, but it wasn't as hard either. And I I want to talk to you a little bit about this, Tim. And I had a very specific question to you because I think you as the person who helped me identify that I was even dealing with burnout, you have this very specific um, point of view that I want to touch on. And I want to ask you, we've talked about my burnout many times. And from your point of view, were there any commonalities or differences that you recognized as you saw me go through my first set of burnout versus when I went through it again? Yeah. You know, before I even answer that, I just wanted to say that for me, it was 
I don't think you mentioned this. And if you did, we didn't talk too much about it, but it was difficult for me to even point out to you this, this past year about the burnout. Like as you were going through it, I remember at some point I was like, I think Mike is burning out. So at one point I, I mentioned it lightly when we were talking. And then after a little bit of time, I mentioned it again. Then after a little bit of time, I said, look, and I, I really just said, I said, look, you're going through all these things. It seems like you're burning out. You should really consider taking time to figure out if you are. And it was tough for me as a friend to say that. And that's what I think a lot of people should be looking for too. Someone who can identify that they're going through it. And the commonalities that I saw between 2017 and 2020, the two times you went through burnout that I, that I witnessed, the first time and second times were similar in that you changed the outlook you had for the projects you were juggling. In the beginning, in 2017, you were juggling so much that it seemed as if you had too many balls in the air and each one was falling and you were getting upset that each one was falling. And as each one hit the floor, you got more upset and you would, you would get more depressed, I'd say, that you were in this negative space in your head where you just wanted to finish and stop doing everything. And that idea of just wanting to finish is that feeling of waking up and not wanting to do the thing you're doing. And I could sense it because of how you were talking about the things you were working on the vocabulary, the grammar, the ways that you were describing it. It was all about, you know, I'm doing this thing, but I don't really know if uh, I'm doing it in the right way. I just, you know, I just got to get it done. I just have to finish it. I have to finish it. And it was this idea of completing something because I think you saw that if you could do it, you would be at a better spot in your own head, that you would be able to take the time off that you were looking for without saying that that's what you wanted. And then in 2020, it was similar because you were not juggling many things, but you were trying to do one thing, but you couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. So it seemed as if both times that that was the root cause, that you lost sight of what the end thing was that you were working towards, or that end thing became less of what you actually wanted, because as you were doing the things you were doing, you started to notice that it wasn't actually what you wanted in the end, that what you originally anticipated was one thing. But as you're going through the steps of creating it, you were realizing that the end goal isn't what you originally envisioned, or the end product that you're getting out of what you're doing isn't at the level of what you anticipated. And that led to signs of burnout for me, seeing it in you, which were getting more snippy, not uh, being able to respond to text messages the way that you used to, like a lot of your responses in a way seemed as if you, like, if I were saying something like, Hey, I had this big win today. It was like, Oh, well, you know, you won, but did you really, right? It was like this negative way of spinning it back on me. And I was like, Oh, this isn't usually how Mike responds. Like he's usually more supportive. So the first time I was like, oh, okay, you know, maybe it was just the day, right? I thought it was maybe, you had a long work day. The second time it was uh, like uh, the, the reasoning in my head was, well, maybe it was just a tough week. Then the third time it was, okay, this is real. Like something's happening here that isn't right. And then the other sign of it was that you were saying no to everything, not just saying no to specific things, 
but you were saying no to every single thing that I was asking if you were interested in trying. And that was a sign of burnout to me because it, it was returning back to where you were in 2017, where you were always trying to just not put any more on your plate because you're trying to clear your plate. And once you cleared your plate, I don't know what you had in mind, but that's what you were trying to do. And that's what I noticed in 2020, that you're trying to clear your plate completely by saying no to everything and just trying to scrape by. So in both cases, I think that's what I, I saw as the common signs. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's interesting that those are, we've talked about it before, but I think it's, it's interesting that those are, are kind of the, um, like you said earlier in the talk, we, every time we have this conversation or we have conversations like this, I, I feel like I learned a little bit more about either burnout or my burnout or other people's perceptions of, of burnout or how it relates to me. And I think that's very helpful. And I, the one thing I would say that we've kind of touched on a little bit here is that having somebody uh, like you has really helped me get through burnout. And I think in, in instances where you've dealt with burnout, I hope that I've been able to help you kind of get through some of your stuff. Um, I think that a lot of times we, as people, we've talked about shame as a specific word that's come up a couple of times in the podcast where we are ashamed of what is happening, what is what is going on. And I think that there's there's this initial tendency to recoil, to disregard, to like even when I remember when you said, hey, you're burning out, I was like, there's no, there's no freaking way. There's like there's no way. How could this happen to me again? I already went through burnout. I know what burnout looks like. Um now going back to the analogy of the the buckets, I think in a lot of ways, the health side had been kind of taken care of, or at least was uh, mitigated a little bit or, or worked on, but there were other things that were still not, you know? So like, that's why I think the, the this idea that your life is not one thing or another, but it's many different things is very helpful because I could see that, okay, well, I'm still emphasizing too much on this kind of project, this kind of thing in my life work at the time. I will admit my, and one of the reasons why I ultimately left the job that I had uh, was that I was felt like I was being overwhelmed and it was a different kind of feeling then than it was in 2017 where I felt more pressured to get very big projects done and to get them done well and to get them done to the, my specifications. So that's happening at work. I'm having these, uh, these, what I feel like are big life project decisions being made. And I, I don't want to let those things down. So I'm, to your point, I was getting very snippy and saying no to a lot of things because I'm like, well, this thing matters the most. This thing matters above everything else. And it's like, well, it does to a degree, but it's not something that I can't take some time to try something new or maybe look at something else in a different light. And I think that those, for me as a person, this is going to be different for anybody who's listening to this. So I think it's it's really honing in on what your behaviors are and how they change and having somebody in your corner that you know, whether it's a friend, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's somebody who just knows you well at work that you can confide in. Maybe it's a mentor. I think having somebody kind of in your corner to help 
notice those pattern changes in your behavior really helps because if I honestly, if I didn't have you telling me that I probably would just be still spiraling a little bit and not, you know, I'd have another eventual conversation with my wife that would <laughs> lead me into like a, a bigger burnout down the line. So, um, yeah, I think overall, just to summarize kind of where we've been on this, uh, this journey through burnout, um, the first mini lesson I would say is no one starts at burnout. There's always a path that gets us there. Burnout is not stress. Burnout is sustained stress over time. Burnout is treatable and can be overcome, but it's not easy. And we need to understand sort of how we got there and how to get out of it. Burnout targets well-meaning, high-performing creatives. Put on your own oxygen mask first so that you can take care of others after. And burnout can happen again. I think burnout is real. It happens to, I don't think this is hyperbole. I don't think this is exaggeration. I think that the the burnout will happen to everybody at some point in their lives. It might not be to the degree that it happened to me or that it happened to Tim, but I feel like it is likely to happen to everyone and to be aware of it. If you're listening to this in the future, um, I hope that you um, work on yourself and understand that you don't have to be ashamed of where you are. Burnout can happen to anybody. And I think that burnout is just a part of what our lives are in, in this day and age. And it's just, it's just something that happens. Um, but it is something that you can overcome and something that you can and get through. And I don't know if there's anything else that you want to say about this, Tim, but that's kind of where, where I would leave it. No, I, I don't have anything to add to that, but uh, I think that's a great point to end this episode on. Uh, make sure you guys join us next week where I'll be talking about my next lesson to my younger self, which is to have a financial plan. So until then, we hope to hear from you guys on social media everywhere and make sure you tune back in next week. So thanks for joining us today and we'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to another episode of Unpacking Design. Check us out anytime at unpackingdesign.com. And you can also find us on iTunes and anywhere else that you listen to podcasts. Please remember to leave a review and share this podcast with someone you know.